0: but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases
1: i would recommend frosted leaf to a friend and i would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help
0: check out frosted leaf's three denver locations and download their app today
1: welcome to the bsn broncos podcast i am your host andre simone I'm sure you guys are sick of me by now and hey, I get it. I'm sick of hearing my voice as well. Luckily, next week you will get a nice break with Ryan back in town and him and Zach doing the regular pods and I'll be just back doing my regular draft pod work, but this Friday bringing back the draft pod as expected and I'm fine solo. No AJ Hayfley with me. Uh, Our editor-in-chief is quite busy today, so we are giving him a much-needed break from the draft pods, though I cannot wait for us to talk on air and uh, me to give him some stories and insights from the Senior Bowl and kind of get his opinion on some some of the stuff that's gone down in the draft world in the last few weeks. And, yeah, so... We've got another jam-packed show. I'm going to try to keep it shorter, but those are typically my last famous words, so don't count on it. Um, yeah, and we're just glad to be back on air, glad for the site to be back up, the new site. Everything's going good. Probably a few tweaks will come here and there, but uh, have no fear. Give us feedback. If there's something that's not working, we'll get you fixed up right away. We're going to start in segment one with some questions, and then I've... Uh, I've got a few more plans for you, maybe some ranking updates and monitoring what the mock draft world has been has been doing for the Broncos and a few more little notes and nuggets from, from draft season since we are full-blown into draft season. So can't wait to get started, and we're going to jump right in. These couple of questions are from prior to us going to... Mobile, Alabama to cover the Senior Bowl. So they're two weeks old, but they are such phenomenal questions that we needed to give them the proper space in the draft podcast rather than answering them while we were in Alabama at the Senior Bowl, where we tackled a lot of the other draft questions that you've sent. So we're going to start with that. And the first question I have for you is from sutton 14 thomas eighty seven. And he asks, can you talk about how you evaluate positional value in concrete terms, especially in terms of a ratio, if possible? For example, as a hypothetical, a quarterback is twice as valuable as an edge rusher, and an edge rusher is three times as valuable as a guard. I assume a lot of this is based on the discount achieved from the rookie contract. Looking for a general rule, not an iron law, what is the impact scheme scheme has on positional value generally thank you and appreciate all your hard work well i appreciate this phenomenal question really uh one of my favorites that we've gotten all year and uh it's really a good one so when i do my draft rankings and this is just me and we can kind of go into um how the nfl does it and uh how teams value needs and what have you. But I really try to grade in tiers. And my first tier is guys that I feel like are elite prospects, that are um, Pro Bowl types, or not even Pro Bowl types, Hall of Fame type players. And regardless of position, if I feel a guard or a safety or a linebacker, a uh, tight end, are so good they could be the best at their position for the next 10 years or one of the two or three best at their position for the next 10 years, be an absolute game changer, get top five money at their position, and truly be a Hall of Fame caliber player. I couldn't care less about positional value. That's where those guys are going to go. For uh, transparency's sake, the only safety I've ever had to grade out like that is Malik Hooker, who went to the Colts and dropped much lower than I expected him to. I've never had a guard grade out like that. I've never had a tight end grade out like that. And I'm struggling to remember if I've ever had a linebacker, but I believe I have not. Um, And yes, positional value will play into that for sure. But I really feel like if you're going to get, you know, an All pro type guy. If you're going to get the next Earl Thomas, I don't care about the positional value. If he's a game changer, if he's the model for that position for years and years to come, you need to grade him super high because you're going to look, you're going to be wrong if you didn't, regardless of what the contracts might be. Then I try to grade uh, my next tier is like top 10 in most drafts. So universally, these guys regardless of where they're coming out, would go in the top 10 of most drafts and profile as future pro bowlers. So it's just a notch down. Then I have first round grades and then I have uh, end of the first, early second. Basically guys who would slip into that top 50 picks. They don't have a solid first round grade, but they have the upside to impress and kind of rise above the rest. And when I do all those rankings, I do try to take into account positional value. And that's what NFL teams do too. And they don't just take into account positional value. NFL teams take into account needs. Because uh, the, the needs, even though you know we pound the table every year and we say you got to go best player available, needs will change from one year to the next. And we see that all the time. You got to get the best player available regardless of need. Teams do value needs. That is something that they will... Uh, take account for when they're making their rankings and looking at a board and making decisions on who to draft especially early on and then how does scheme play into all this well that's a tricky one scheme can be um for for me as a draft analyst and i think most draft analysts will be like this You try to grade universally for all schemes. So versatility, for example, plays a big part in that. And it should. For a general manager, versatility should be a huge factor because you never know how long your coach will stay. So if a player is scheme versatile, that should add significant value to their stock. Um, But I am certain that, as I said, teams value needs and that'll... They take that into account when they're ranking players and what have you. Scheme certainly plays a huge part in that. And For example, I think the Broncos, with their scheme change, they'll have gone from valuing cornerbacks, especially man cornerbacks who are elite um, at their position and an elite commodity to find less than they would have prior under Wade Phillips and Vance Joseph and Joe Woods and now with Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel, I think they'll value linebackers with speed who can cover sideline to sideline. So that's where uh, scheme will come into play, and it all factors into a team's boards and their rankings. Quarterbacks will get a bump because the importance of the position. Edge rushers, to some extent, will get a bump because of the importance of their position. Offensive tackles who profile as true left tackles will get a bump at their position uh, just slightly. Those are the only three positions that in my rankings I'll bump up a little bit. So if you're, for example, in any other position, you would have a first-round grade, but you're a quarterback. That'll bump you up to being a top-10 grade, a future pro bowler, and those are the small variances that I come up with in my rankings. But I really, you know, when you do a redraft, for example, position of, you know, position value only goes so far for you. Um, You know, even a running back like Phil Lindsay last year, he, if you did a redraft, he would be a first-round pick. He'd probably be a top-10 pick, frankly, because of how well he played compared to some of the other rookies or at least a top-15 pick. And so, you know, I'd much rather not be wrong when I have to do a redraft two, three years down the line. So positional value only plays so much of a role, though I do try to take account, uh, take that into account, certainly. So, um, great question. I hope I answered that um, in an understandable way and did justice to how insightful that line of questioning was and our next question is from Mr. T who says great pod Andre and AJ I have two questions for you first if you were looking at quarterbacks on day two which ones would you steer clear of and why well on day two I'm not sure this might be relevant anymore uh, given their performances in the senior bowl But I would steer clear of Daniel Jones, who, in my mind, is at best a day-two prospect. I just don't see it. Um, I just don't see it. And I'm going to be talking about that more in the next segment. But that's definitely a name I would throw out there as far as steer, steer clear. Another guy I'd steer clear from is Will Greer. Now, I don't believe after what he did... In Mobile, that Will Greer would go on day two of the draft. I think any team to draft him that high would uh, be crazy, frankly. Uh, but yeah, definitely steer clear of those two guys. And I'll be talking to him a little more about that next tier of quarterbacks in the next segment. So stay tuned for that, Mr. T. And then second, Mr. T asks, help me differentiate between the skills and scheme fit of Greedy Williams, Byron Murphy and uh, DeAndre Baker, are they still your top three cornerbacks? For me, they are. I know um, that's starting to change for some people who are getting enamored with some of the measurables that some of the other guys bring. Before I get enamored, I'm going to have to vet the the off-field stuff with these guys when they're in Indy for the combine and see how they test. Uh, cornerback's one of those positions where Testing measurements will will play heavily in my rankings. Um, some positions are just like that. Other positions, it doesn't matter as much. Uh, but those guys do remain my top cornerbacks right now. And here is how I'd kind of differentiate their skills and their scheme fit. Um, Greedy Williams, to me, he can be inconsistent and lack physicality. But he's the purest cover corner of the class. He has a great mix of size, speed fluid hips, and raw ball skills, without a doubt the highest upside of any cornerback in this class, Um, definitely highest upside of these three guys. And here's kind of answering another part to the question from before, from Sutton14Thomas87 that I wanted to get into is beyond just scheme, fit, needs, and positional value, is the traits you bring. So being a a pure left tackle and being a high upside guy who can be elite in pass protection with the measurables, feet, fluid hips, that counts more than positional value. It's not so much positional value as do you have the traits of an elite player at your position. And with cornerback, it's the same way. Corners who have the kind of skills that Greedy has, who can play on an island, who can lock down week in, week out, the best wide receivers you face, that is huge. If you're instead, yes, you might be a really, say a Josh Norman, a really, really good cornerback. You might even be in the running for defensive player of the year, but you're a zone corner. You're a cover two guy who's gonna play the flats, uh, read and react, you know, try to to jump routes and 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 really make those sideline throws hard on you. Those are very valuable players in a specific scheme. There's no doubt about that. But they're not you can find those guys much more easily. They're not the rare talents that someone like Greedy Williams profiles to be. Now, Greedy Williams might present more risk than say a Josh Norman or even a DeAndre Baker if we're staying in this class. But the value of someone with Greedy Williams's talent is much higher than someone with DeAndre Baker's talent, for example. Um, and while we're on Baker, here's what I have to say about him. He's great downhill, and he has fluid hips to turn and run. That's big for me, being able to turn and run with wide receivers. Um, he's also a reliable tackler. He's a guy who, frankly, would fit really nicely in Vic Fangio's defense. Um, His upside does seem limited compared to others in the class, but I feel like he's scheme versatile, and he's one of the safer cornerbacks in this class. So that uh, that should add value to his stock as well. While Byron Murphy is kind of a great mix of the two. He has great feet, phenomenal instincts, really good ball skills, and he's feisty. His size worries me a little bit, um, and he's versatile. He can play both inside against quicker slot-wide receivers or outside against speedsters. I do have concerns on his size and how he can handle the bigger wideouts like a Sutton, like a Demarius Thomas in his prime, like a DeAndre Hopkins, for example. I think he could work in a zone, but I wonder if he's too similar to C.J. Anderson in some ways for that defense to have both those guys on the field. So that's kind of how I can best answer your question right there. Um, I thought those were two phenomenal questions. I really appreciate you guys uh, chiming in. We are going to go on a quick break, and we'll be right back with segment two where I'll be talking about whose stock in these all-star games like the Shrine game and the Senior Bowl has risen and whose is dropping.
0: Hyper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years.
1: ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have referred people to Piper and Piper to them.
0: From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs.
1: They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to Adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So, really, they have become a one stop shop for all of our needs.
0: If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303 646 6765 or go to PiperElectric.com.
1: And welcome back to the BSN Broncos podcast, presented by StravaCraft Coffee. Just a reminder before we jump into the show a really awesome deal for BSN listeners. Uh, this is a CBD infused coffee and it not only tastes incredible, but it can relieve everyday aches and pains, anxiety, migraines, and so much more. So check out Stravacraft coffee. All right, let's get back into this. And as promised, we are going to talk about some of the biggest risers and fallers from these last two weeks of, uh, you know, endless all-star games. Uh, we talked about the Shrine game a little bit in the last draft pod. Just barely touched on it. Obviously, the Senior Bowl is the big one. But there'll be some names in here. And we're going to start with the guys whose stocks are rising. For me, a big riser is Brett in the quarterback out of Boise State. Obviously, the MVP of the Shrine game. Just showed that arm velocity to the sideline all week long, uh was really impressive from everything I was able to gather. And frankly for me is uh you know, we were talking about day two quarterbacks and who you'd stay away from. Easton Stick is another guy I'd stay away from. The North Dakota State quarterback who did not have a good shrine week. Uh, but Brett Ripon certainly did. He has all the tools and for me is kind of the best of the rest as far as the quarterback position goes after you get past those top three in whatever order for me, it's Haskins, uh, Kyler Murray and drew Locke. Brett Rippin is that next guy. I take a swing on, uh, his decision-making can be concerning when you watch him on tape. Sometimes not always perfect, not always the most accurate, but you gotta love that arm. You gotta love the kind of talent that he has. Um, and yeah, so Brett Rippon, for me, is a big riser, especially when we see what he did at an east-west shrine showing where the quarterback class was pretty good for, for the typical standards, and you look at what the senior bowl quarterbacks did, which was kind of disappointing. Drew Locke, on the other hand, <clears throat> quarterback out of Missouri, who we've talked about plenty in the last two weeks, he is a riser for me. kind of confirmed what he needed to confirm I've got another category here after the fallers that is purgatory, which is kind of like their stocks are staying the same. They are who we thought they were type thing. In some ways, Drew Locke is who we thought he was in Mobile. I just think he came off so well in interviews. He, uh, you know, he showed the arm talent and how it was, you know, head and shoulders above the rest in Mobile, and just showed. Really nice improvements in key areas like, uh, you know, under pressure, going off his secondary reads, being a smart quarterback and taking what the defense gives you. Still needs to improve on his accuracy, especially on the deep balls, so he can really unleash that arm fully. But look, he had some pretty deep balls. He had some nice ball placement on his deep balls in Mobile. Not enough to say, oh well, ch- check that off your check that box off. But still good enough to where, hey. I was impressed, and uh, footwork is going to be the biggest thing now. Um, But, you know, that said, every quarterback has several areas they need to work on. I think Drew Locke, he helped his stock overall. He just looked better than anyone at the Senior Bowl when you consider everything, and I was impressed. Uh, Andy Isabella out of UMass, he impressed us all week, obviously led the nation in receiving yards um, last year. So shouldn't come as a surprise that the undersized slot receiver from UMass was impressive, but he just got open at will. Uh, Just such a dynamic route runner, steady hands. And then in the game, he catches that little Daniel Jones screen pass and breaks a few tackles, shows the ability to create yak. Uh, He's, relatively speaking, pretty thick. He's not going to be the easiest guy to bring down He's just so quick. Uh, I'll be intrigued to see what he runs. That could really help his stock. But I feel like Isabella definitely is a big winner. Sticking with the wide receivers, these are all kind of in order of their positions here. Uh, Terry McLaurin, the third wide receiver out of Ohio State, who just had a monster week in Mobile, uh, wasn't the greatest at the game, had a few plays. But boy, in the week of practice, he was just undressing guys. Uh, Such a smart guy to talk about. Earlier in the week on the pod, I uh, told Zach the story of how he told me about talking to a Broncos scout and they put him on the board and had him draw up a play and how impressed they were that they kind of stopped him halfway through his breakdown and said, That's enough. We've seen enough. Uh, So that's how impressive he is. I've got some great quotes from him that'll go up on the site here soon. Uh, McLaurin would be just. Perfect, a phenomenal special team or something he really prides himself in, a two-time team captain, and, I mean, just a dynamic athlete who's really shown improved hands. He's a big play weapon, uh, you know, dynamic with the ball in his hands, but also, you know, a guy who can stretch the field. Uh, he just checks off all the boxes, and I was telling Zach, boy, he kind of reminds me of Stefan Diggs, a formerly highly touted recruit. Diggs never quite worked out at Maryland, because of injuries, McLaurin never quite worked out at Ohio State just because there was so much talent on that offense. You know, there's only so many things he can do. And he did, He made the best of his touches, you know, 35 receptions for over 700 yards and 11 touchdowns. I'd say that's maximizing your opportunities. Uh, so McLaurin, I'm a huge fan. I don't know exactly when you'd have to jump on him. I think to ensure his talents, you'd have to jump on him in the early third round if you're the Broncos. Another guy that was impressive is Titus Howard out of Alabama State. Uh, just steady, steady and pass pro. Looks the part. Great feet. Dancing bear type of guy. And, you know, profiles long term considering his upside size, mobility. Uh, obviously still raw. I'd like to see him be more physical, handle bull rushes better, anchor better. Um, you know, be be better just in in run blocking and stuff. But as we were talking about in the earlier segment, when you can be that dancing bear with length, who profiles as a long-term solution at left tackle, Titus Howard fits that, and he could go very, very high. And I didn't have a chance to talk to him, but I know that Ryan and Zach were very impressed when they talked to him, and Ryan loved the fact that he was a former quarterback, Um, which, eh, probably overblown for my taste, but, hey, still still noteworthy. John Kaminsky, defensive lineman out of Charleston. Uh, Really impressive. Just looks the part. Uh, Probably playing out of position somewhat as a defensive end. uh, But great in pursuit. You know, a lot of these guys that we've just listed off, Isabella, Kaminsky, Howard, um, you know, a lot of them are small school guys who have risen. And that shouldn't be surprising. This is the point where we start to pay attention to the small schoolers more. Uh, You know, we do this draft pod all year long, and we're concentrating on the top games of the week, the top matchups with top prospects going head-to-head against each other. Uh, But, you know, this is where the small school guys really get to shine, and Kaminsky is one more of an upside pick. But, you know, looks looks the part. Kind of looks, I know, with the guys we were talking about, Looks like what Gotsis should look like. And Gotsis will have his flashes. I think Kaminsky will be a similar guy where you just need him to play consistently. Uh, but yeah, he was impressive. Garrett Bradbury, top center in the country, top center on my board, really impressive. I'm I'm starting to have a prospect crush on him almost to the levels that I of what I had for James Daniels, the Iowa center last year. Such an incredible zone blocking interior offensive lineman. Uh, you know, if Paradis were to be let go, depending on what you would want to do with McGovern and what position you want to play him at, Bradbury could be the Broncos center of the future. The only concern is would he drop to the beginning of the second round or would the Broncos kind of be left like they were with Daniels last year, hoping he'd drop to the end of the second only to find him going in the picks before them at the beginning of the second. I would not be surprised if this year again we saw a run on offensive linemen in that sweet spot between picks 33 and 40. Those first seven picks of the of the second round might be really where the great value is. Dalton Risner, great interview, uh, most cerebral kid we talked to in Mobile. His big win was proving that he can play tackle. Uh, he has the length. He played tackle the entire time in Mobile. Yes, he could be moved on the inside. He could do a good job. But, you know, the, the, the deal here is you always let guys fail first at tackle before you switch their positions. Um, and, yeah, he'd be a really nice fit as a right tackle. Another target for Denver in the early second round, uh, Terrell Hanks the linebacker out of New Mexico state, definitely a riser. We've talked about him so much all week. I don't feel like we need to spend too much time, but his athleticism and coverability and also the, you know, the, the suddenness and nastiness, which with which he comes downhill and can make devastating tackles is really impressive. He'd be just a phenomenal fit in that uh, Vic Fangio defense, considering what he wants out of his linebackers, Lonnie Johnson Jr. I thought was the most impressive cornerback at the senior bowl. He's got that great length, great instincts to fly downhill. Got to see, you know, what that speed is. Uh, He's a longer cornerback, would have fit better in what our scheme used to be than what the scheme is now, but Johnson certainly stood out. Dalen Mack, I probably should have mentioned him earlier, the defensive tackle out of Texas A&M. You know, just a stout nose tackle with some impressive penetration ability. A uh, guy who really helped himself at the East West Shrine Game and flashed in Mobile too, uh, you know, as a, a depth piece on the interior defensive line. He'd be a great pickup. Andrew Wingard, Colorado kid, played at Wyoming as a safety. He had a good uh, East West Shrine Week. I'll be excited to be at his uh, at his pro day this year to see what he can do. And then a pair of edge rushers also impressed at the Swiss Shrine game. And Justin Hollins, who's long, versatile. And uh, Jordan Brailford out of Oklahoma State, who racked up a ton of sacks last season. Um, You know, if the Broncos were to lose both Shaq Barrett and Shane Ray, I'm a big believer in Jeff Holland, but you might want another depth piece. These are two names to keep in mind for that. Uh, two underrated running backs who impressed. Wes Hills from Slippery Rock really had a nice week of um, practice at the Senior Bowl. Had some flashes in the game as well. <clears throat> I really am impressed with his suddenness and quickness, and uh, you know, one cut back, uh, he just looks explosive. Um, and then Divine o- Ozigbo, the running back out of Nebraska, really showed out. Uh, the more tape I watch of him, the more I'm impressed. Physical back who moves well. And as far as guys who haven't raised their stock because they weren't at the All Star games, but in general, getting the vibe that their stocks are rising, DK Metcalf, the uh, wide receiver out of Old Mississippi. Um, we, AJ and I, really liked him coming into the season that had that devastating season ending injury, still decided to declare, which was interesting. And I'm just getting vibes from the draft world that, um, that injury won't hold him back too much just because he has such a phenomenal combination of speed and size. Uh, really an athletic specimen. So it'll be interesting to monitor him as we keep going forward. Of course, all it takes is one bad medical at the combine to really ruin his stock. But in general, it sounds like he's really helping himself. Stock down um, Zach Allen out of Boston College, a guy I'm really high on, extremely versatile was interesting to talk to. His story is um, incredibly interesting. You know, I just, that versatility sometimes can also be a deterrent because he's at the same time a bit of a man without a country where it's like he's not a pure edge rusher. He's not a pure interior guy. He might be ideally suited as a five technique, but I'm not sure I saw enough penetration from him, uh, enough suddenness Right off the snap on a consistent basis. He's strong, he's feisty, try hard kind of guy, but in this elite class of interior defensive linemen, I don't know if he did enough in mobile to prove himself. So he's kind of a loser for me. Will Greer, I've talked about him, the quarterback out of West Virginia. Look, I mean, we'd been monitoring him for two years. Um has a l has some impressive tape. I was watching Yadni Kajus, the left tackle out of West Virginia just yesterday and you know he made some pinpoint passes with great touch down the to sideline he had some phenomenal wide receivers a great offense boy that arm talent just isn't there and for a guy that is lacking that uh, arm strength and is so reckless in his decision making can hold on to the ball too long can just throw up a blind throws with his uh, footwork completely backloaded that's a real issue for me and staying with the quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl. Daniel Jones was a big loser for me. I am so surprised to see how many people came away from Senior Bowl week and are giving him a pass because he was the game MVP. If you rewatch that game, first off, it's two series in the third quarter. It's not like he played the entire third quarter and lit it up, and he's making tight window throws, and he's showing off the arm strength we were waiting for him to show off. No, he's... He completed some easy passes on bootlegs to wide open wide receivers for NFL standards. Showed good mobility, though a few of those throws are are behind. Uh, He gets sacked down in the red area. Should have thrown an interception. Uh, You know, drawn Thornhill, the the safety out of Virginia, drops it. Um, I forget if it was that throw or, yeah, it was that throw. He throws it in quadruple coverage it might have been quintuple coverage I don't even know what you call coverage when a guy's covered and surrounded by five different defenders I don't know what he was trying to do didn't show zip all week didn't show deep ball accuracy all week struggled to throw away from his arm side uh, doesn't have the arm talent to really push balls um, you know down the field or to the sideline more concerning the last day of practice he would have been sacked twice in 11 on 11 drills but you know you can't sack the quarterback same thing happens in the game that was his best attribute was his pocket presence his ability to you know sift through sift through traffic manipulate the pocket work his way up into it and still stay accurate keep his head downfield uh, and when you don't see that in that kind of setting it's uh really troubling you know his stats aren't impressive tape isn't impressive uh really all he's got going for him is his size and the fact that david cutcliffe is his coach but david cutcliffe as i've said at nauseum throughout the season wouldn't even he wasn't even his his quarterback sometimes he would take jones off the field and put in you know uh the backup quarterback who worked as essentially a wildcat quarterback which I don't get because Jones is mobile enough. So you don't even need a wildcat quarterback. That doesn't seem like a glowing endorsement to me from Cutcliffe on Jones. And it's not the kind of thing that, you know, Oklahoma would have done with Kyler Murray or drew lock would have done with, uh, or Missouri would have done with drew lock. Now, Ohio state did do it with Dwayne Haskins because their offense was so particular. Dwayne Haskins is such a pro style quarterback. He really didn't fit. So sometimes they did want to run it with the quarterback like they used to with guys like Braxton Miller and JT Barrett. So they'd put Tate Martell in on the, on the red zone or third and short select situations. But I don't put that as a knock on Haskins. I just think, you know, the offense wasn't perfectly suited for him. So that's kind of how they they made up for it. Um, and then as far as non-All-Star game related, you know, there's vibes about Jonah Williams dropping and it's concerns about length. It's concerns about him not profiling as a natural left tackle, not having those elite traits that are really going to make him pop. And that's going to be a problem. I'll be really interested to see him at the combine. It's obviously not going to affect my rankings. But we saw it happen with Connor Williams out of Texas last year where that length Perceived lack of athleticism. And now Connor Williams had a downish year, even though it was really just the Maryland tape. Uh, Jonah Williams, you couldn't say the same thing about him. So we will see. And then noteworthy, Jeffrey Simmons, who I talked up on the last podcast, not being invited. Um, he had a, you know, he has an altercation with a woman on his record from back in his high school days. Obviously, it hasn't seemed to have affected him as a collegiate athlete. But that's problematic. Um, That'll have to be vetted for sure. And the fact that he won't be at the combine is noteworthy, as all these other top interior defensive linemen will be able to help his stock. He'll kind of be, you know, stuck in mud. And to some extent, I think it's kind of dumb that these guys don't go to the combine. It's almost like they're able to avoid being vetted uh, and scrutinized like other prospects are. I don't think that's right. If anything, these guys should be the guys who are at the combine. Maybe don't let them work out, but let them come, let them get interviewed, let them really have teams hold their feet to the fire, if that's the expression. Preston Williams, local prospect, another guy I can't wait to, to watch at his pro day. Um, all the natural talent in the world just had a monster season for CSU this year. He has an incident dating back from his time at Tennessee where he transferred from before going to the Rams. Former five-star recruit, very intriguing. But, you know, another guy with on his record, and it might have been two, three years ago, doesn't matter. Uh, an Altercation with a woman, he's going to have to figure that out. He's going to have to make up for that. And you best believe that the media there will be asking him about that on his pro day since he won't be competing at the Combine. So those would kind of be... Um, my losers and stuck in purgatory i'm gonna say jared stitham the quarterback out of auburn he helped himself enough at the senior bowl i don't quite get the hype though um surrounding him i think in some ways he reminded people why he was a top prospect coming into the year but then boy you know practice was inconsistent i kept i was looking over my notes to kind of try and figure out what am i missing i just kept seeing stuff like stitham Misses this. Stidham taking too long to process. And then you watch him in the game. Boy, he was awful. Awful, awful, awful performance. Uh, didn't seem comfortable in the pocket. And that was kind of an issue this year was the guy was just not handling pressure in the best of ways. And I'm not sure he has the arm talent or athleticism to make up for that. And that's problematic. Um, and he'll be seen as a day two prospect for sure. I wouldn't stay clear necessarily of him. I'm sure when I go back to the twenty seventeen tape or even the twenty fifteen tape when he was at Baylor, which is by far, I think, his best tape when he was forced into the starting lineup and he could really sling it deep. Um, you know, he it's the best tape that Corey Coleman had, for example, the former first round wide receiver out of Baylor. That's the tape where Sidham shows off his natural talent. We haven't quite seen that at Auburn yet. In that same category, stuck in purgatory is Andre Dillard, the left tackle out of Washington State. Dillard um, had an up-and-down week. I thought he finished the practice week on a high note, looked better, looked the part. He also allowed a strip sack in the game. He can't do that. Uh, His tape at Washington State is much better than what he showed. He also seemed like the, the lights were a little too bright for him. In mobile, as far as all the media attention and stuff and that's that's an issue i mean i get it like 10 reporters around you in a scrum isn't what you're used to but if you're a first pick in a market a football crazy market like denver or even a high second rounder you can expect that on a you know weekly to monthly basis and uh that's gonna be rough so uh yeah that's uh that's my my concern with dillard i think that in the end he didn't hurt his stock but he didn't help it and uh i would be worried about spending a first rounder on him i know that his hype has kind of risen to that level i have my concerns for sure with that um we are gonna end the second segment we'll be right back after Quick word from our sponsors to close things out with a little mock draft update. And amazingly, after Senior Bowl week, it's almost as if everyone is giving the same pick to the Denver Broncos stay tuned
0: when it comes to insurance sometimes you never really realize how important it can be until you actually need it well here at BSN Denver we recommend farmers agent Bryce Babcock to all of our listeners as one of the most trusted and reliable agents in the metro area
1: if I was a customer
0: looking for a new agency I would recommend Bryce because his agency hands down is the fastest people I've ever dealt with to get information back to you That was David. He's been a client of Bryce's for over three years now. I used to have my homeowner's insurance with another farmer's agency that never really followed up, never followed up on the price. My price was actually dropped by almost 20 to 30 percent, switching over to Bryce, even with the
1: same company. And like I said, his follow up is awesome. He guarantees you at least a one time
0: a year follow up that he will sit back and review your file with you. Like David mentioned, Bryce guarantees that type of communication because he understands how important it is to be relatable and accessible. He's a great person not only be your agent, but he's a great person to be your friend as well. If you're interested in making the switch to Bryce Babcock for your life, home, business, or auto insurance, be sure to call 303-996-6509 and mention BSN.
1: And welcome back to the BSN Broncos podcast, always brought to you by Strava Craft coffee segment three i um earlier in the week and i know it's been a wacky week with uh site being down for a few days and you guys not being able to listen to the podcast daily and them kind of all being dropped at once so if you missed this with zach um we we did a podcast and we ended the segment with a quick top 10 mock draft that i did you can go back and listen to that i guess the show is entitled something along those lines. I forget. I'll let you know. Um, but just quickly running through it, I gave the Cardinals, Quinn and Williams, the Niners, Nick Bosa at two, the Jets, Josh Allen at three, the Oakland Raiders, Cleland Farrell out of Clemson at four, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Jonah Williams, the New York Giants, Dwayne Haskins, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Drew Locke, the Detroit Lions, Greedy Williams, The Buffalo Bills, Devin White at nine. And then Zach and I kind of debated some options between Ed Oliver, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Cody Ford, and Rashawn Gary. So two defensive linemen. I threw Yadnika Joost in there too. So two interior defensive linemen with high upside as interior pass rushers. Two quarterbacks. One a safe pick with size. The other one a not safe pick with a ton of upside and no size and two offensive linemen. That's kind of how the cookie crumbled there. And I said, personally, I would go with Kyler Murray, though both Zach and I kind of got the feeling he is not the Broncos guy. Uh, You can go to bsndenver.com and see the quotes we got on record from John Elway about Kyler Murray, which sounded more complimentary, but, you know, eh. Depending on what you're hearing around there, Kyler Murray might not be their guy. We'll see. It's a long process from now. Um, And so I personally would have taken Kyler Murray, but Zach ended up on Ed Oliver, who I think might be more reasonably who the Broncos would take if things fell this way, that interior penetrator. Then I scoured the Internet for some good mock drafts that have been made since the Senior Bowl was played. Uh, so really with only within the last week. And there weren't a ton. Sports Illustrated had one. I forget the author. I feel terrible. Drew Locke was the pick for the Broncos at 10. Um, Lance Zerlein had a mock draft for NFL.com. And Walter Football had one as well. Both had Drew Locke going at 10. The Draft Network, who does some great work, Kyle Krabs, their top analyst, published the mock just recently. He also had Drew Locke. Now, some of these mocks have Daniel Jones ahead of Locke. Some have Murray, but all are going with the safe pick in Drew Lock. And you can also hear we had Ryan on the line, who's out in Atlanta. He talked to us about uh, how Drew Locke is. You know, it's like a joke in the NFL media world of, "Oh, you cover the Broncos? Are you gonna? You'll you'll enjoy Drew Locke, Have fun covering Drew Locke next year." It's a joke, and uh, you know Ryan was saying there's a perception that Elway doesn't. You know, he just takes the obvious pick, and he's not able to kind of cover his tracks. And we'll see. Boy, I mean, it would be awful early. Um, I know the the staff hasn't had time, and the offensive staff especially has just now been put together. I mean, the quarterbacks coach was coaching for another team while they were in Mobile, so I know he hasn't had the time to get any input from his offensive coaching staff, and I would bet anything that he's barely had any input from any of his coaching staff, even guys who were hired earlier on, like Vangelo, the head coach, and Munchak, the offensive lineman, who I think both will be relied on uh, for their evaluations come draft season. You know, so even though it's this joke and everyone, it's like a consensus pick right now for the Broncos. No matter how the board slides, uh, Drew Locke might be the second quarterback taken, he might be the fourth he still ends up at 10. And that's very mock drafty where it's just a convenient pick. It's like, you know what, instead of putting an uncomfortable pick, like, I don't know, a cornerback or, uh, you know, having to get creative and giving them the best interior offensive linemen or having to justify giving Kyler Murray to them or something like that or, you know, giving them Daniel Jones who we're not exactly sure how they feel about. We'll just give him Drew Locke. We'll just let the board fall this way. Give Jaguars, you know, someone a little more out the box, but the Broncos get Drew Locke just because that's how it is. Um, it's it's kind of lazy, but I get it. Um, I've, I've, I've done that kind of thing in mock drafts before. I tried it. The way I see it is, you know, go with your intel. Go with what you're hearing and stuff. But you also, when you write a mock draft, you got to be courageous. Um, there's no, there's no wins for just getting safe picks and, and just nailing who everyone else is nailing. Be courageous. Call your shot. Um, some of my proudest moments are like having both Deshaun Watson and Trubisky in the top 10 and Trubisky going to pick number two or three, or I think, I guess I had him going to the Niners, the Niners swap picks with the Bears, So I had him in the right spot, wrong team. Um, you know, those are my proudest moments because no one else had them. And like also mock drafts, they're kind of just silly to write. Honestly, they're, you know, they're all, everything's contingent on the previous pick and all it takes is one pick to be wrong, to throw everything off. I know they get lots of views, but I'd much rather write a big board. But anyways, that's kind of the feeling around uh, mock world right now. And it's interesting. It's interesting to think: Is Drew Lock really a lock? Is there? Is this all just smoke, or is there some, you know, real, uh, real intel to this? Um, some reliable people have said that it does seem like the Broncos like Drew Locke a lot, but who knows? Maybe Elway and his staff saw something. In Mobile, that turned them off. Maybe in private interviews, they heard something that turned them off. There's no way to know what happens behind closed doors. Even the most plugged-in people, on decisions as big as your next franchise quarterback, you're not going to get all the intel. Uh, the, the full story will never be known until even two, three years down the road. Um, so that seems to be the feeling right now. I think it would be weird if that stays the feeling and you know it might be that you know, one of the things AJ and I will say is I'd much rather believe a rumor at this time of year than in April uh when it's just lying season and you know it's smoke screens left and right but for now that's uh, that's what's happening with the mocks the mocks that I liked and the mocks that were after the Senior Bowl. Prior to the Senior Bowl, eh, it's different. You know, we've learned so much from that trip in Mobile that those are kind of outdated by now. Um, I'm also getting the feeling that people are picking up on what we've said uh, for a couple weeks now that cornerback at 10, probably out the mix for the Broncos. I don't think, even though that's clearly a need it's uh you know a premium position in the modern pass heavy nfl i just get a feeling that for fanjo's defense you don't need to spend a top 10 pick on a cornerback you can find cornerbacks who will work very well in this scheme later on in the draft you can find them in free agency i mean you know just look at the staff he had the group of cornerbacks that he had and fuller and uh, Prince of you know, those were his two starting guys. And Chris Harris Jr. is better than either of them. Um, so you don't need that lockdown elite outside cornerback. And another feeling I'm getting is this offensive class is gaining some momentum. Now, the big question with this offensive line class, especially the offensive tackle, that's what I mean, not offensive line as much as offensive tackle. But I think in general, the offensive line class is picking up steam too, Because, you know, guys like Garrett Bradbury is uh, raising his game and Michael Dider's out there. Chris Lindstrom out of Boston College showed pretty nicely. Um, In some ways, I felt like um, Lindstrom is who we thought he was. But look, he had a good enough showing. Um, No knocks on him. But, you know, it's a class that's deep, deep at offensive tackle, especially when a guy like Dalton Risner confirms he can play that position. Andre Dillards picking up some steam. Uh you you've got Trey Adams out of Washington who some people still view highly. Titus Howard is moving up boards and you add those groups to a, or those guys to a group that already had Jonah Williams who was regardless of how you feel his about his NFL uh prognosis arguably the best offensive tackle in all college football last year and maybe the year prior. Yadney Kajus out of West Virginia, dancing bear. I need to see more from him on tape. I want him to be a little nastier. I want him to be more aggressive when he gets the hands-on guys. But you know what? He mirrors guys to perfection. He's got those feet. He's so smooth moving laterally, so smooth in pass protection. Kajus is going to go way higher than most think. Cody Ford keeps rising up boards. Right tackle out of Oklahoma. Look, I'm not the biggest Ford fan. I'd probably take him ahead of Quinn and Nelson, though, if they were in the same class. Because he can, he can play tackle. He's more athletic than Nelson. And I think he could be just as good playing on the interior as a guard. You still have Greg Little out there, out of Mississippi. Um, you know, Dancing Bear, all the potential in the world. Just needs to be more consistent. Juwan Taylor, right tackle out of Florida. Did not look good as a left tackle in 2017. Played really well as a right tackle. Has tons of upside, too. David Edwards, lengthy, big. Offensive tackle out of Wisconsin. Reminds me a lot of Jared Valdir. Dillard, Risner, we've already talked about him. So it's a deep class. You might be lacking, you know, arguably outside of Kajust and Little. And Dillard, I suppose, No one is that natural potential franchise left tackle, and that hurts it a little bit at the top. That's why in like my mock in the top 10, only one offensive tackle. And who knows, after the combine, maybe Jonah Williams drops 10 spots and goes from 5th overall to 15th or 20th. Um, But it's a deep class, and it's a quality group. And with all those names I said, we're talking about, you know, Eight deep. Eight deep who are going to have a top 50 grade for me easily. Um, And luckily, probably a couple of those end up dropping out of the first round and could be there for the Broncos in the early second, especially if they tried to move up. And maybe, you know, we've been talking about moving up to go get a quarterback so much. Maybe actually what suits them best is staying put at 10, letting that quarterback fall to them, whether it's Locke, or Murray. I don't care as long as it's not Daniel Jones. I'm all about the top three quarterbacks in this class. And then you make your move up in the early second round to go get that offensive tackle to ensure you get yourself that Dalton Risner or that Dillard. And that might be the better draft strategy this year. So those are kind of my closing thoughts. Look forward to having AJ back next week. It's been a blast for me to do all of these the last two weeks. I'm sorry you guys haven't been able to hear them regularly as you usually would, but now we're going to be back at it, and I'm loving it. And uh, we will talk soon. I am Andre Simone with the BSN Broncos podcast. Thank you guys for all your support. Um, it just means the world to us. And before I leave, just want to remind you that we are presented by StravaCraft Coffee and that. They have a really awesome deal for BSN listeners. This is CBD-infused coffee, and it not only tastes incredible, but it can relieve everyday aches and pains, anxiety, migraines, and so much more. We love it at the office. Uh, It's just a phenomenal product, so check that out. And again, thank you for listening to the show.